Well, good morning, everybody. I am going to be going like this. Can we? Is it possible to just like squeeze in so I'm not going there? Is that, is that okay? Is that cool? Just squeeze in a little bit and I can come a little bit closer. Yes. I am a counselor. I, I, I don't get normally, I get called at the last minute to come and, and speak. But I'm a counselor. I'm used to a more uh, intimate uh, setting than, uh, than just preaching. As they used to say, six, foot, six feet above contradiction in the old pulpits. If you would turn in God's Word to John chapter 1, I'm going to be reading the prologue of John's Gospel. John chapter 1, uh, 1 through 18. And I've named this sermon, Becoming the Disciple Whom Jesus Loves. Becoming the Disciple Whom Jesus Loves. Do you stand as a tradition to hear the word? Let's stand. John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I think this is a sermon that could possibly be preached every week. Because it's really answering a question, what does it mean to be loved? When I listen to people in my counseling practice, all the time, they're always coming up with the same issue. It's the same theme. Can, will you finally be, Mr. Jones, the first person that I can tell the deepest, darkest secrets of my life? Things that I know that are keeping me bound up, 
all my hang-ups and whatever it is that someone comes into my office with, because usually what you will find with them is that they either can't or don't trust a spouse. There can never be enough love in a marriage relationship or enough trust. There are things that we hang on to. I'm not going to tell my wife or my husband about that. Oh my gosh, they'll reject me. And so often they come in, hopefully, to get some truth, some grace, and be in a relationship with another human being where they can express who they really are without shame of rejection. Will you love me? I'll never forget the time I was in a counseling session with my old counselor about 12 years ago when I was going through the counseling program at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And I'd gotten in about a year of counseling with Mike Winkler, I'll never forget one day, he was just in front of me, and I was kind of nervous, and he was a younger man, probably about 10 years younger than I was at the time, all the wheels had come off my life as a pastor, and he suddenly looked at me, he says, Jonathan, what's wrong with you this morning, what's, what's going on? And then he leaned forward, and he said, what do you want? And I'll never forget it. I can remember looking to the left. There was nobody in the room. It was just a small counseling room with a wall. And I looked. I went like this. I thought, I'm going for it. And I leaned forward. Do you like me? Taking me a year of counseling as a 43-year-old man before I even dared utter that question to another human being which was coming out of my heart all the time. And in the pastorate, if you don't know that's what you're asking, what ends up happening is preaching, everything that you're doing is always trying to elicit people's love or affection. But you don't really know it in your own heart, deep down, either from God or from your own spouse, privately. And so you're always, you're like a sinkhole for a love and approval, trying to gain it from people. There's a story I, or a movie I saw a few months ago by Maudie Lewis. It was about Maudie Lewis. She was a, um, she was a folk artist. Has anybody heard this movie? It's called Maudie. Okay, all right. I better choose a different example. <laughs> I'll give you the plot really quickly. Maudie Lewis is an arthritic uh, lady. Uh, she, her mom and dad have died. She has a brother and an aunt. She gets uh, pregnant when she was young. Um, her brother um, takes the baby from her while she's going through recovery and, and sends the baby out for adoption because they thought they wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to look after the baby. And eventually the aunt and the brother sell the home, so she ends up looking for a home. She answers an advertisement in the local area. It's up in Nova Scotia. And she answers this advertisement of a man who was a fisherman with this tiny little hut right by the ocean. And she answers the advertisement to be his maid. And so here you have this late 30s, early 40s arthritic lady moves into this home with a man who is, how can you phrase it? He's not nice. He's an orphan. He doesn't know how to love, and he's only affectionate. And then one day he, he tells you, he tells her, you know, 
You're going to be the lowest on the totem pole in this family. There's me, there's my chickens, then there's my dogs, and then there's you. And as you're looking at this movie, you go, wow, that's kind of bleak. But lo and behold, common grace look at love. They end up getting married. Uh, No children are the issue. But by the end of their lives, they've worked through issues in their lives. It's like looking at two orphans trying to love each other, and they do it very, very poorly. But by the end of their life, she's becoming more and more arthritic. She becomes incredibly famous. I think uh, the vice president, Nixon, actually buys one of her her, uh, paintings. She She becomes discovered. And by the end of the movie, you see her in a bed, in a hospital, with a husband hovering over her. And suddenly she says this, don't worry, don't be sad, I was loved. By that time in the movie, I'm looking at my wife, because she's brilliant, and she said, do you want to watch this movie? And I go, no, but every time I say no to a movie, she asks me to watch. You always know it's going to be great. And, of course, as a counselor, by the end, I'm going, oh, gosh, that's so great. That's so great. And then you immediately go, oh, my. If an orphan man who doesn't know how to love very well can love, really, an orphan girl, and they can get together and love one another, and by the end of their life, in the movie anyway, they can say, I was loved. I'm going, oh, my gosh. What is the gospel? What if we could say that we were loved by the creator of the universe? What would we do? What would your response be? And I think that's what we have right here in John's gospel. John himself says that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that a strange way? None of the other disciples do that, but John does. And he writes his whole gospel out of that. In John 13, 23, that's the first mention of him calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in John 21, 20, right at the end, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's leaning back and asking Jesus. In 13, he's, he's leaning on Jesus. He's really close to Jesus. He even gets to lean on Jesus and say, Jesus, who is it? Who's going to betray you? Very close to Jesus. I've grown up almost being jealous of John. You, anybody like that? Am I the only one here? You know, you get to read John's gospel and you go, that's not fair. My son used to say that a lot. That's not fair when he was a little boy. How come you get to be the disciple whom Jesus loved? But when you think about what John is doing here, he's written this gospel near the end of his life. They reckon from about AD 70 to 90, so let's say, okay, AD 80. By AD 80, he's walked with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walked with Jesus for 40, maybe 50 years. He's had a long time to meditate on what it is that he wants to say. He's probably looked at the Gospels that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written and gone, ah, I'm not going to do it like that. I'm not going to do a chronology of Jesus' life. What is it that God... And the Lord Jesus is so impressed on John's heart that he writes so differently, choosing some of the signs and the speeches of Jesus, 
to refer to as he represents who Jesus is. And he even focuses in 40% of John's gospel is only about one week in Jesus' life. Do you realize that? Chapters 13 to 21 are all about the last week of Jesus' life. Amazing. Kind of points to something, doesn't it? Of what is the most important thing about who Jesus is. Have you ever been loved? Ever been truly known? That is the question this morning. And John says, the God of the universe, the one I'm going to talk about right now is the one who has loved me in Jesus Christ. And that's who I'm going to make known to you. He's walked with Jesus for 40 years years or more. And I think what he's saying to us this morning is, just as I have been loved by Jesus, so can you. You can be the disciple whom Jesus loved too. I was able to do it at a certain point in time, 2,000 years ago. I was fortunate to, enough to be the disciple whom Jesus, Jesus chose to know humanly, but through my witness, through this word, you can know the love of Jesus too, and know that Jesus gave himself for you, and that you can have no shame, no fear. And there are so many examples in John's gospel of John actually showing us people who were hiding away, but Jesus welcomed them without shame, without fear. John is besotted with Jesus, and he wants us to be. And for us to be like that, we have to first know who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, then take ownership of our own darkness, and then exercise our right to become a child of God. Not an orphan of God, but a child of God. Who Jesus is. Familiar territory, I hope this is for many of you. John's opening salvo is just, it beggars words because it's so simple yet so profound. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. He just goes on and on and just piles up all of these expressions as to who he's about to talk to or talk about. Who Jesus is? Who is he? He is the light that has come into the world, the light of Jesus. This is almost like a new creation story. John actually takes us right back to Genesis, doesn't he? Just as God created the world and then created Adam and Eve, Jesus actually is the beginning of a new creation story. Who is Jesus? He is the new Adam. He is the one. In the beginning was the Word. Those words themselves in Greek, in Archaeologos, takes us right back to Genesis and the new creation story. John actually wants us to think that way. The person I'm talking about is the one who was in the beginning, and he is the Word. The Word is a Greek expression of life, the life giver, the logos, 
was a Greek philosophical expression of everything that is contained in, in what it means to be the giver of life, the creator. He goes on, if I turn the page, and the word became flesh. That word, that logos, that divine being is the one who became a human being and eventually ends up in calling him the Son of God. But Jesus is his name. He just piles up concept after concept as to who Jesus is. Who am I talking about? Who am I in love with? I'm in love with the creator of the universe who has given me the ability to be able to see him, know him, and touch him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another thought-provoking sentence that takes us back to the Old Testament. Just as Jesus is the Logos, the one who was there in the beginning of the world, of the world and gave his speech and created the world through his power. So Jesus is the one who was there when he rescued his people in the temple in the wilderness. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Pitched his tent is the Greek literal verb here. He, he is the one who tabernacled with us. Just as God was with the people of Israel in the desert, so Jesus comes and is with his people today. So John says, who is it I'm talking about? The one who was there in the beginning? The one who was there when he redeemed his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt? I'm talking about him. So, so far, John is showing us that he's got a very clear Jewish audience, doesn't he? Because he would, would want them to know these things. They would clearly see what he is getting at, who he's talking about. He is the one. When light comes, when someone of such great power, immensity, comes and makes themselves small, and John sees that, he, he said he is full of grace and truth. We saw him, we walked with him. What takes place? If you read John's gospel, it's very easy to see what takes place. People's motives, their darkness is shown. Wherever there's light, there's always darkness. These are the two great themes of John's gospel, light and darkness. And the rest of the gospel actually shows that up. But John is asking us to come into this light. And even though that is scary... To come to the light. Because you fear being rejected. Because everything that you've ever done. Just like the woman at the wells. Come meet the man who has told me everything that I've ever done. I didn't need to go to a counselor's office. I just met Jesus. He told me everything. All my secrets. And I lived. I lived to tell the tale. And now instead of shame. Meeting. Jesus at the well at midday because she didn't want anybody else to see her. Instead of her shame, at one meeting with Jesus, she goes straight back into town and starts being a witness, which is another great theme of John. 
light, darkness, and witness. And she goes back into town and starts witnessing to everybody. Wow, what happened in that short meeting? I have seen miracles happen in my office because someone has trusted you enough, grace, to spill the beans. And then they go, oh. Not only are they tired, but usually great joy comes into their life because they've actually told somebody who they really are and have been welcomed and loved. And you haven't slipped off your chair as a counselor and gone, what? You did what? If you ever do that with anybody, uh, you'll probably never likely see them again. Amen? Yeah. You'll never see them again. John introduces us to who Jesus is. Then he asks us to take ownership of our own darkness. We see this in verse 5. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear. Sorry, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus comes into the darkness, and John expresses that darkness by saying this in verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's how he expresses the first kind of darkness. Have you come to a place in your life where as you begin to know who Jesus is, as the creator of the world, in which you owe an answer for your life, have you owned your own darkness? John, first of all, deals with the darkness of the world, then the darkness of the faith community, and within that faith community, your own darkness. How do I get that? He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. What is John driving at here? It's very simple. There's Jesus and there's nothing else. You follow me? There's Jesus and there's nothing else. When Jesus comes, the whole world looks at him and immediately recognizes in Jesus what his claims are. So as you go through John's gospel, if you know John's gospel, you know who were the people who were after him, who rejected him. Politically, you've got the powers that be, Rome, Rome's gods, Pontius Pilate, all the gods of the pagan communities all looking around Israel. That's the world. They're in darkness because why? Because they've all got other ways of trying to get back to God other than the way that God himself has said, you need to come to me. Jesus is declaring that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the world comes along and goes, who are you? Who are you to tell us that we can't go through all of our Roman gods or Greek gods? And Jesus just says, that's just the way it is because I can't deny who I am. That would be difficult enough. Most pagans don't really get 
messed up by that because they'll just put, okay, if you want to be Jesus, you know, you want to be God, that's, that's fine. We'll put you in with our pantheon of gods. They don't really mind. But who really did mind was his own community. If you were to go into Rome at that time and say, I was God, they probably really wouldn't bat an eyelid. They'd probably want to build a, a little temple to you. But if you said you were God in Jerusalem, that was a real problem. There couldn't have been a worse city in the world in which to say you were God in the flesh, of which John does all the time. Every time G John picks something that Jesus does, he always usually puts an I am statement with it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. Our ears don't hear that too well. But Jewish ears only heard that only too well. Because when he said, I am, ego in me in Greek, he was actually using the very name of God that was revealed to Moses in the desert. Who should I say sent me to rescue my people? Tell them, I am sent you. His own community, religious community, goes, uh-uh, no way. You can't be God. God couldn't become a man. And Jesus says, yes, before Abraham was, I am. That was dumbfounding to his own religious community. That was the new revelation and as you go through the book of John, what you see over and over and over again, that Jesus becomes a threat. And the threat is, you either have Jesus and His way, or you have an alternative religion. An alternative set, a way in which you're going to approach God. And what Jesus does, the threat of Jesus, eventually in John chapter 11, when John does as an appetizer for the resurrection, John raises Lazarus, and when he raised Lazarus, he finally sealed his death. Because the Jewish leaders report it, and they go back, and Caiaphas says, it's good that one man die for the sins of the people rather than what? Our place be taken from us. What they were holding on to in their religious guise was their own supremacy, their own self-righteousness, their own way of saying we cannot be surpassed by this riffraff fisherman carpenter from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? That was their darkness. Religious darkness of the Jew, of the Greco-Roman world. Then the religious darkness, self-righteousness of his own faith community. Even to the place of his family. Go read the text. His own family didn't believe in him. Can you imagine how lonely that was? What about your own darkness? your own, perhaps, religiosity, your own in and out. I'm in one minute. I love in one minute. I'm don't the next. We all struggle with that, don't we? When I look at this text, I've actually preached this. I don't know whether you notice. I've preached this sermon once, twice before. 
this year. But this year, I said to myself, you know what? I am really going to try and live in the light of being Jesus' loved disciple. And the enemy came along and said, yeah, you want to bet? It's not that easy. Have you come to a place where you have received the right to become known as a child of God? Not only do we see how Jesus is opposed by the darkness, but we see the darkness of individual people coming to Jesus and Jesus loving on them, giving them the right to become children of God. Have you exercised that right? It says this in verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see over and over in John's gospel, one of the thrills for me in John's gospel is, has any of you recognized why it is that you're here in church and not somewhere else? I can remember reading John's gospel years ago and seeing in it just how much John is like Paul. And as Reformed folks, I don't know, we believe in this doctrine called predestination. Do you, do you know what that is? It's the doctrine where God chooses beforehand who he will save and how he will save them. And what you see in John's gospel over and over again is the same doctrine. The Pharisees come around Jesus one day and say, who are you? Tell us clearly who you are. And Jesus just matter-of-factly just tells them, you can't believe in me because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Oh, well, thanks very much, Jesus. He doesn't really explain it. Only the text shows us that all the Pharisees, the religious leaders, reject Jesus. And yet here is a blind man say in chapter 11, no, chapter 9 of John's gospel, who hears the voice of Jesus, even though he is blind, his eyes are opened and then comes back to Jesus, Jesus seeks him out again, reveals who he is to him, and he believes and worships. And in John's gospel, it says, basically, the only difference between the Jewish leaders and that blind man is God's grace. What God withheld from the leaders, he withheld grace from them. The grace to be able to receive. The grace of being able to see. The grace of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which changes the heart. John chapter 3, you must be born again, else you cannot even be in the kingdom of God. But the blind man, he gives sight. Literally, but symbolically. To be able to see who Jesus is. Have you received that? Have you been like the woman at the well, the blind man? 
all the others that are there, Lazarus being raised from the dead. Has that happened to you? Has the Lord Jesus given you his Holy Spirit where you know you've been raised from the dead? You know who he is. You've been made alive in Christ. And you now know that you've received this right to be not just any child of God, but loved as you are, right where you are, without you having to do anything to clean yourself up, make yourself better. Because even once we've come to know God, I've spent 30 odd years now as a child of God, and sometimes I keep thinking that I keep coming back to the same issues time after time. Do you really love me? Even though I've not prayed this week or read my Bible enough or having difficulties with my 13-year-old son right now. He and I are at loggerheads, teenager dumb. Am I a terrible father? What have I done? What might I be doing to him in my own brokenness? And before you know where you are, all of these thoughts begin to overwhelm you and you lose track of God's word, lose track of what God has done in your life, that even before you'd done anything, God chose you in Christ Jesus to come to know him. Can you rest in that? That's what we've come here this morning to do, isn't it? That's why we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. God's got this. I need to hear that. God's got this. Can you rest in his power, his love, his sovereignty? Can you just lean back into his chest and just hear he's a good father? He's got a brilliant son. And 40% of John's gospel all points to the cross I arose from the grave on the third day and now I've come looking for you and that's where we are today at Vintage Grace 2,000 years later God has come looking for us and said will you be found will you receive me will you let me in will you let me love you or are you going to put all of these defenses and sabotage my love if Morty can be loved by some ungodly orphan boy and still at the end of her life say to him to comfort his heart, you love me. John at the end of his life, besotted with Jesus, goes, what about you? Will you let me love you? And will that be enough for you? And will you respond to me this morning? in love as we take the Lord's Supper. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for showing us who you are.